Let's turn to Luke 17. And today we're going to talk about the duty of restoration. And this is going to continue on kind of the, 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 the theme I began several weeks ago. And uh, we'll be in Luke 17 today. I'm hoping we get through Luke 17, uh, verses 1 through 10. And then next week we're going to move to Matthew 18. And we're going to look at, at uh, several things in Matthew 18 and just kind of go verse by verse through the Scripture. If you remember last week, uh, we were in Matthew 18 and we were in verses 1 through 7. Today we're going to be in Luke 17 and we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. But let's begin with the first four verses. Let's read Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 4. Then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. For it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, or if your brother commits an offense That word sins is the word to offend. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he offends you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you, or if he commits offense against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So, in these four verses we see immediately that Jesus makes this declaration, it is impossible that no offenses should come. And that tells us that offenses are what? They're unavoidable. Now, that doesn't mean we should go out and try to look for them or we should go out and try to initiate them. But the reality is, (laughs) whether you're driving you know, last night we're leaving Victoria's house, and my wife's not in here, but Caleb and, and, and EJ and, and the kids had left first, and then they come back, it's like there's some kind of huge traffic jam going on here. And so <clears throat> we get out, and traffic's backed up, and the railroad arms are down, and it's like, well, the railroad arms must be stuck there or something. I said, look, follow me, I know a back way, we'll hit McNeil Road, and, and you know, we, we can avoid all this traffic. So we go the back way, you know, down by Round Rock High School and come out on McNeil Road. And we get to the light, and the light's red. And the light's red. The light's red. Then all of a sudden I hear, ah, ah, and I look to my right. I didn't see it sitting there, but there's the train sitting there. <laughs> and I realize the train's fixing to cross. It's like going an inch an hour. <laughs> you know, it's like barely moving. Well, I'm like, man, (laughs) railroad arms come down, the lights start flashing, and the train is like barely moving. I'm like, now why couldn't he have waited for the light to turn green and let us go, and now we're stuck right where we were trying to avoid, I mean, we just went right to it. We'd actually probably would have been better off staying in the traffic jam, you know, and so I'm just sitting there, I'm complaining. And Andrea goes, just relax. What's the big deal? You know, 
It's just a train. I said, yeah, but you know, we were, well, what's your hurry? I said, well, I'm not in a hurry. Well, then just chill out. I'm like, well, you know, that's true. What, what, what is the point? I mean, why do we, you know, things are going to happen in our life, whether it's something as silly as that or someone, friend, family, brother, sister, that offends us. How are we going to handle those situations? Well, we've got to handle those situations the way the Scripture teaches us to handle those. And, and, and I think one of the first things we need to realize is what Jesus said here, offenses. It is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better, you know, for the millstone to be tied around his neck, and he thrown into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. Now, last week in Matthew 18, we see this is where in Matthew 18 begins out in verse 1, where Jesus calls a child and sets a child in the midst of them, and he says, unless you become as one of these little ch- children, unless you are converted as one of these little children, unless you are, remember, that word converted means to be turned, to be twisted. And so... He's talking about the same theme here, that we should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. And here's where he teaches us, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, then seven times returns and asks for your forgiveness, then forgive him. So forgiveness we see, offenses, sometimes they come without our choosing. They just happen. That's what Jesus is saying. But forgiveness is something that we have to choose. Forgiveness is a choice that we have to make. I meet people all the time who are struggling with forgiveness. Whether it's things that are happening in families, uh, things that are happening with Husbands and wives with children. It's, it's so tragic, the number of, of situations that, that are such that it's literally, literally tearing families apart. And the same thing happens in the context of the church. And so Jesus is teaching us something here of how to handle these things. And we need to understand that forgiveness is a choice. Restoration is the goal of forgiveness. There's a reason why Jesus commands us to forgive. There's a reason why He has forgiven us. And the goal of forgiveness is restoration. It's not just simply to ease our conscience. The goal that God has in mind is to bring restoration. And true restoration is lasting restoration. And true restoration is brought through, let me just give you four things. The first is humility. The command to humble ourselves implies that there is pride. Because the solution to pride is humility. Humility is the solution to pride. So in James and in Peter, the scripture declares that we're to humble ourselves. In Peter, he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you, or he will lift you up in due time. And I think about Jesus. When Jesus was taken before 
Pilate, and Jesus was taken before all the people, and all of these accusations, and all of these things, and and the Bible says Jesus didn't open his mouth. And even Pilate, are you the king? Jesus says, for this cause I've come into the world. He says, you speak the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus went to his death, the most humiliating and cruel death on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. But three days later, you know what happened? God raised him up. God raised him up. And he ascended to the throne of the majesty on high came to the Ancient of Days. Humility. Humility is a choice. Philippians 2, 5-9 through 9 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider robbery, who did not consider equality with God as something that should be grabbed or grasped or taken like Lucifer tried to do. But instead of trying to take his equality with God, Jesus humbled himself. He became a man. He took on human flesh. He became obedient, the Bible says, even to the point of death. And God highly exalted him and gave to him the name that is above every name. Why did God give to him the name that is above? Why did God exalt him? Because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. Paul says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. So humility, what is the point of forgiveness? It's restoration. There can be no restoration without humility. Rebuke, rebuke's a word that we don't like. We don't like to give rebuke. We really don't. Now, I watched Gigi last night. In case you don't know, Gigi is what Ephraim calls Andrea. That's his Gigi. And so we're at Tories and... Ephraim's, you know, carrying around a little candy jar and he gets a little whiny and I hear Caleb say, don't let him do that. Well, Gigi's like, well, he's tired. Caleb's like, so? I said, yeah, I said, that's like a defense. Well, well, he killed, yeah, he committed the murder, but you know, he was so tired when he did it. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't like rebuke, you know. So there's Gigi, she didn't want to rebuke little Ephraim because he was tired. And, and I think that's part of our human nature. We don't like to give rebuke sometimes because, quite frankly, we don't like to receive rebuke. But rebuke implies the need for correction. I mean, if you saw your kids standing out in the middle of the road and traffic whizzing by, I bet you would rebuke them real quick and bring correction for the sake of their lives, right? And understand, we're gonna, as we get through this teaching, as we begin to go through these teachings today in Luke 17 and in Matthew 18, you're going to see that the reason Jesus teaches us these things, these difficult truths, is for the sake of our life. It really is. But we don't, we don't look and we don't see to that depth oftentimes because we only, we only see to the surface, we only have surface understanding, and God wants us to get beyond the surface of things. So rebuke implies the need for correction. Jesus commands us to rebuke so that sinful offenses do not go unchallenged. And true restoration can't take place if we allow sin 
to go unchallenged. Now I want you to think about this. True restoration cannot take place if we allow sin to go unchallenged. That is true. That is true horizontally. I mean, Jesus is dealing with issues between people here. But that's not just true horizontally. That is true vertically. Jesus forgave us to bring restoration between God and man. And the restoration that has come between God and man must be seen and must be walked out horizontally between man and man, between brother and sister, between husband and wife, between parent and child. Humility, rebuke, repentance. What did Jesus say? Look at verse Look at verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he offends you, rebuke him. And if he repents, what is the point of rebuke? The point of rebuke is is to point out the need for correction so that what can take place? So that there can be a change of heart and a change of mind. That's what repentance means. It means to change your mind. And Jesus says, if your brother offends you, rebuke him so that he can understand the need for correction. He's not correct in his course. So rebuke him so that there can be repentance, so that there can be a change of mind. Repentance implies humility. Humility implies a changed mind and a changed heart. When someone repents, what have they done? They have humbled themselves in their their heart and their mind has changed. How did you come to faith in Christ? What, what allowed you to bow the knee, so to speak, to Jesus? What allowed you to open the, the door of your heart to Jesus? What was it that enabled you to, to understand? There was a humility that had to take place for you to say, I can't save myself, only Christ can save me. I can't pay for my sins myself, only Christ can do that. You came to the end of yourself and you humbled yourself before the Savior so that he could do what he does, and that is to save us. If I don't believe I need a Savior, what am I saying? It, it's really pride is what it is, and it's, it's not repentance because in my mind I'm saying I don't need Jesus. So repentance implies a changed mind and a changed heart. Repentance demands a humble change in the attitude of our heart, and in the attitude of our mind. Now, I would never do it. It's Richard's birthday. But if I, if I offended Richard, Richard came to me and he said, Jeff, you've sinned against me. There's, two, there's one of two ways I can respond to that. When he points out the sin I've committed against him, I can say, ah, forget it, yo, hillbilly. I, I think you're nuts. Or I can say, my gosh, I'm sorry. The, rep- the response that says, I'm sorry, forgive me, is an indication of humility. Whether Richard realizes or not, when he comes to me, he's rebuking me. Now, you know, we think rebuke's an ugly word that's got to be done in in a mean spirit, and that's not true. 
As Christians, we shouldn't do anything in a mean spirit. Speak the truth in love, but, but it's a rebuke when he comes to me. And what's my response? Well, if I'm humble, if I understand the error of my ways, my response should be humility, which leads to repentance, which enables Richard to what? To extend forgiveness to me. So repentance demands a humble change in the attitude of our heart and mind. You often see this, for instance, in, in uh, divorce, divorce situations are, are, are some of the most difficult. And you see this because there, there, there gets to be such hostility. Um, and these walls are built up. And pretty soon, the lines are so blurred, you, can't even, you don't even know who's right, who's wrong, who, who, who began the offense, who... I mean, there's just offense everywhere. And oftentimes in those situations, it's, it's very, very difficult for there to be repentance because everybody's trying to justify their position. And what do we do when we get in situations like that? And I've counseled couples in this situation. And sometimes, you know, you're left with saying nothing. This is all you can say is, you know what? Somebody's going to have to be Jesus here. Well, it ain't going to be me. She's wrong. I've had husbands tell me that. I have wives. You don't know what he's done to me. Like, do you know what they did to Jesus? Yeah, but that's Jesus. It's different. No, it's not different. He took that. He modeled that. For us. For us in many ways. Not just for us so that we could be saved, but for us so that we could offer the same forgiveness that he has offered to us. Forgiveness implies restoration. Restoration is not just talk. is not just talked out. Restoration must be walked out. It's like a husband and wife who come and they're on the brink of divorce. Well, when it's all said and done, if they go to divorce court and split amicably, there really hasn't been restoration. Oh, well, we're friends. We're still friends. Yeah, but you still split the family. You've still left the kids in the middle. There really is not restoration there. You can call it restoration all day long because you don't have a gun ready to kill somebody. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, restoration requires, you know, two people. If there's two people involved, true lasting restoration has to involve two people. Sometimes there may be one on one side, believing for, hoping for, willing for what restoration. But if the person on the other side says, no, ain't going to happen. But that person that is believing for, hoping for restoration, they may not have any power over what the other person does. That, that wife may not have any power over what her husband is going to do. If he decides he wants to stay with that sweet young thing and leave his wife, his wife can't make him stay. But his wife does have a choice in what her attitude is going to be toward her husband. She can live with venom the rest of her life and say that dirty scumbag. You know, the reality is he might be a dirty scumbag. 
But somewhere, what is the attitude of our heart? Parents who won't talk to their kids anymore because of things that have happened. What do we do? What do we do with those things? What's going to be the attitude of our heart? Kids who won't talk to their parents anymore because of hurtful situations. What are we going to do? So forgiveness has got to be more than just lip service. So look, look what Jesus says in verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So we see that forgiveness isn't just lip service, but it's nonstop action that has as its goal restoration. So if I'm navigating to a destination and I get off course and I only correct my course temporarily, is that temporary correction going to get me to my destination? Not if my correction is only temporary. If I'm off course and get on course but then get off course again, that temporary correction is not, not ultimately going to bring me to my destination, is it? Well, I forgave them once. I forgave them twice. I forgave them three times. I ain't forgiven them again. Well, we've just departed the road to restoration. So there is, there is no true restoration without humility, without rebuke, without repentance, without forgiveness. There's no restoration without forgiveness given from the offended. There's no restoration without repentance sought by the offender. There is no restoration without rebuke and correction given and received. There is no restoration without humility because pride opposes rebuke. It opposes repentance and it will ultimately oppose restoration. And there is no true restoration unless we are willing to enter into the messy work of achieving it. Some of the most messy situations I've seen have been family situations. And you think, this should not be. Sometimes the work gets so messy that families say, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. But this isn't what Jesus... Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, you know what? Humanity's sin is so dirty. I mean, making a, making a cake is messy, right? I made waffles. Uh, thank you, Amy Kyle, for that whole wheat waffle mix you made. And my, my mother-in-law gave me a cast iron antique waffle maker, the kind that sits on the stove and it rotates. It's awesome. You guys need to come over to my house and make waffles for you one Saturday morning. So I used my waffle maker for the first time. But you know, it was pretty messy making the waffle batter. Right, you know, I mean, you got eggs, you got milk, you got, you got to mix it all up, and it, it can get messy, right? But I, I, I looked beyond the mess, I overcame the mess because I had a goal in mind. I had something in mind. I wasn't interested in the mess. I was willing to endure the mess because I wanted the waffles. I mean, maple syrup is sticky. It's messy, right? But. But in its right context, I mean, you get it on that waffle and you get the butter there and you get the syrup there and you got that crisp golden brown 
waffle on your plate there, you're not thinking about the mess. You're thinking, man, this is great. This is what I'm looking. This is what I endured. All of this to have, to be able to sit down and, and, and just sink my fork into that and see that butter and syrup just ooze and just take that bite of waffle. And it was so good. It was so good. Yeah, there was a mess. Yeah, I had to wash the pan out, clean the bowl. Sure. Listen, restoration is messy business. But unless we're willing to enter into the messy work of achieving it, it's not going to get done. Now, let's look at verse 4. How do we... This is real interesting. So verse 4, let's read there again. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Look what the apostle said. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. It's like, you got to be kidding, Jesus. What? You mean if he, you, are you telling me that seven times I got to forgive him? Jesus doesn't say it here, but he says it somewhere else. He said, not just seven times, but I tell you 70 times seven they're like, you're crazy, Jesus. Are you, you're serious. He said, yeah, I'm telling you the truth. Lord, increase our faith. You understand what they were saying? This is a cry for help to do the messy work. Jesus, this could get pretty messy. Help us understand this. Increase our faith, Lord Jesus. So the point of faith here is not, listen, It's not for that sweet car. It's not for that big house. It's not for any of that. The point of faith here is for forgiveness leading to restoration. We have people trying to increase their faith to do and to get all kinds of things, but Jesus teaches here that the point of faith is about reconciliation and about restoration. And why is this important? Matthew 6, 15, Jesus utters these words. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Man, that's, that's pretty stout. Now, we want to we kind of dance all around that and say, well, you know, now Jesus isn't saying that, you know, if you don't forgive people, you won't go to heaven. Really? Let me read what the scripture says again. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, this is is an important statement. We need to understand why Jesus said what he said and how he can say it and mean it. And, And it mean exactly what he is saying it means. So how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. We were saved because God forgave our sins. So you're not saved because Pastor Jeff forgave your sins, or your mother forgave your sins, or your father forgave your sins. You're saved because God forgave your sins. We were saved because God forgave our sins, undeservedly, I might add. And we are commanded to forgive as we have been forgiven. In this sense, forgiveness and love are are 
are the same thing. So we, can, we could, we, won't, we don't have time today, but we could turn over to 1 John and we can read where John says, if you say you love God but hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. Well, how can the Bible say that? Well, because that's true. Because what is love and where does love come from? How are we able to love? Well, the Bible teaches us, again, in 1 John, we love God. Why? Because God first loved us. The reason I can love you is because God has put his love in me. Apart from the love of God, I have no love to give any of you. I don't care how nice a guy you might think I am. Without Christ, I have no love to give. Now, I might help you across the street. I might open the door for you. I might be polite. You know, I was a polite young man. Um, taught to respect, you know. And, but, but that's all very, very different than love. So I can love. Why? I can love God because God loved me. I can love you because God has loved me. How can I forgive you the same way? I can truly forgive because God has truly forgiven me. Because forgiven has been offered to me, now I have forgiveness to offer. And this is what Jesus is saying here. We are to forgive as we have been forgiven. We are to love as we have been loved. Biblical forgiveness, love, restoration, these are not empty words to soothe our conscience because we speak them. Oftentimes, you know, I've, I've had families in and, 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 you know, a husband and wife, and, and, and inevitably one of them will say, well, I told them that I forgave them, but, oh, whoa, but, there's the but. Why is there a but there? I forgave them, but, oh, take the but away. Either you did or you didn't forgive them. See, sometimes we say these things and it makes us feel better, but the reality is it's got to be more than just our words. These aren't just to soothe our conscience. That's an easy concept to grasp. You know, when a, when, when a wife comes to me and she's being physically abused by her husband, you know, I get called quite frequently from the police department to deal with situations. Um, and... You know, these are very, very common cycle of abuse. It's, 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 it's not unique in these situations. And inevitably, you'll have a wife who's been abused by her husband. Here she is. She might be sitting here with a black eye, swollen lip. He said he was sorry. And I believe him. Uh, see, now, how many black eyes have you had? How many busted lips have you... Well, yeah, I know, but I really believe he's serious this time. So what do you think my belief and my response is? You think it's, I'm sure he really is, because he said he was sorry, so he must be. You think that? No, that's not my response. You know why? Because talk is cheap, right? So what I tell that lady is, you better run, and you better run as fast as you can. I will help you get to a safe place. We have people that will help you get to a safe place. Don't you believe one word that he says. Why? Because his actions prove differently. So here, this is what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I know you guys haven't committed murder to anybody, but in your heart. I know you guys haven't gone out and actually committed adultery, but in your heart, this is what's going on. 
See, these, these things the, are easy to grasp in certain situations, but they're much more difficult to grasp among the religiosity of the church. They are. But they're there. So the Father and Jesus didn't just talk about or make a declaration of our forgiveness. Jesus Christ actually walked out that forgiveness all the way to the cross as God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And the point of forgiveness is reconciliation. It is restoration, both vertically with God and man and horizontally between men, between husbands and wives and sisters and brothers and parents and children and friends and neighbors. And if it does not go both ways, and this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 6, 15. If that forgiveness, if that restoration doesn't go both ways, it goes no way. I can't say, well, God's forgiven me and that's good enough if I will not forgive my brother. I can't say, well, I love God and that's good enough if I don't love my brother. It goes both ways or it goes no way. If we have received forgiveness, we will Give forgiveness, we, we must give forgiveness if we have truly received it from God. And this is the cry of the apostles. Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey Because that, listen, because that mustard seed faith is all the faith you need to do what? To receive forgiveness from God. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying you've got to figure out some way to work up this mountain-moving faith so you can move this mountain of unforgiveness and bitterness you're, you're clinging to or standing before. Now, Jesus is saying, look, you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to this tree and be cast into the sea. What he's saying is, look, that is the faith that it takes to receive the forgiveness of the Father. And if you have received the forgiveness of the Father, then you can give that same forgiveness. This is why he told the disciples, freely you have received, freely give. For struggling with forgiving those who have sinned against us. Children, and I'm not just talking about little children. Children, if you're still struggling with forgiving your parent. Wife, husband, if you're still struggling with forgiving your current or your ex. I just, there's an article in Texas Monthly. Have you seen the recent Texas Monthly magazine? And uh, John, John Mueller and Aaron Franklin are on the cover. It's the greatest barbecue story ever told. John Mueller should have been the guy running Louis Miller right now. And he tells this in, in the story. He got crossways with his family and he walked away from the business because there was this rift that, that he, he admits was his fault. And he walked away from that I didn't get to, I, 
I read most of the article while waiting in line at HEB last night. That's how many people were there. <laughs> I know John. And I like John. And I can't wait to finish the article. And I believe John has made reconciliation. I'm, I'm certain he has. But we see what happens when these things. What I'm saying is, this is what Jesus is commanding us. This is our duty. I don't have time. I wish I had time to finish this message today, but I don't. We'll finish it next week. And we're going to see the next section, verses 7 through 10. Jesus teaches us a very important lesson about this. He puts it right where, where not, not just where it needs to be, he puts it where it properly is. And he says, this is our duty. We don't get extra points for it. We don't get gold stars for doing it. This is our duty. We don't even get a thank you for doing it because this is our duty. Well, you, you can't believe I finally forgave my wife for what she did to me. Man, I deserve a special place in heaven. No, you don't. It was your duty to forgive her. I don't care what she did to you, husband. I don't care what he did to you, wife. I don't care what happened, parent or child. You don't get a special place. It is your duty. Who says, pastor? Jesus says. That's who says Man, y'all are quiet today. Man. I'll leave you with this. I want you to meditate on what you have received from him. I want you to meditate on the forgiveness and the reconciliation and the restoration that we have received from the Father in heaven. Because the Son didn't just Talk about forgiveness. He didn't just talk about reconciliation. He walked the path. It was cruel. It was hard. It was messy. But he did the work necessary to bring the reconciliation and the restoration that was in his heart before time began. This is what we have received from him. This is what Jesus says you must give as you have received. Amen? Let's all stand. Now I'm going to pray. And you know, God may bring to your remembrance, you might be in a situation right now with your family might not be your family, might be at work, might be right here in this church. And you're struggling with these very issues. The question is, who is going to stand up and be Jesus and demonstrate the character of Jesus? Well, the Bible says we are too because we are his children because that's what we have received. So Father, I pray right now, God, I pray for the families represented here. Not just the, the immediate families, but Lord, the extended families. Lord, every one of us right now could think of situations in our families, whether they're immediate or extended, 
Lord, we could think of situations probably at our workplace. Lord, we can think of situations in the body of Christ, in this body, in other bodies. Lord, how are we going to handle those situations? How are we going to encourage others? If we don't find ourselves in a situation like that, Lord, inevitably someone's going to come to us. How are we going to encourage them to handle these situations? And Lord, I am so thankful that you have poured out your forgiveness in my life. Lord, not because I deserved it, because I don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it then. I don't deserve it now. I won't deserve it tomorrow. But in spite of that, in your grace, God, you forgave me. And I pray, God, that you would give me and you would give each one of us to extend that same grace to those in our lives that are struggling, that are allowing unforgiveness and bitterness to consume their lives that have caused them to be wounded to the point that they don't want to have anything to do with God. They don't want to have anything to do with the church. They don't want to have anything to do with their families, with their friends anymore. God, I pray that you would help us be a people that would facilitate restoration. We can't do that, God, until we are restored ourselves, until we can receive and give the very forgiveness you command us to walk in. Lord, the church, if there's anything, if there's any entity on the face of this earth, it should be the church that models this and demonstrates this because we are your body. We are your people. We have received it firsthand. And I pray, God, you would give us the grace to freely give as we have freely received. I pray for restoration, God, in our families. We live in a fatherless world. And I pray, God, that you would bring restoration to children who are struggling with their fatherlessness. I pray, God, that you would cause your saints to be discerning, to understand, God, the important role we play in our ordinary lives every day. We don't have to be special people doing special things. We just need to be faithful people over the small things. And you will make such a large difference through our lives and in the lives of others. And we thank you, God, that you have chosen to use us in that capacity. And we give you glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name.